0: Welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we make sure you know there's more going on than you can see or hear. If this podcast episode helps you, would you consider leaving us a review on the app or platform you're using to listen? We appreciate it. And remember, we ain't woke, but we are certainly awake. And now, your host, Larry Ragland. You can't strip the glory. You can't strip the favor. You may strip my title. You may strip my home from me. You may strip my job from me. You may shut down this, shut down that, but you cannot take the favor of God from me. Well, hello everybody and welcome to the big picture i'm your host larry raglan and i am going to talk to you about one of my favorite subjects today the remnant you know the bible says in matthew chapter 7 verse 21 not everyone that says unto me lord lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he that does the will of my father which is in heaven so that tells us that there is going to be a portion of the church that thought they were right with god that were not right with god because that's a, that's addressing directly those people in the church because if you say lord lord you're my lord you're my lord a lot of folks say you know yeah i serve the good lord but god said there's going to be a group of them that's going to have a rude awakening when they stand before god and that's what i want to talk to you about today it's not to judge other people but it's to call you out and make you understand the, the gravity of the moment of what it means to understand the scripture that says, you know, and of course we know it was applicable in the day and time of historical writing where he says, maybe you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this, but we take that for ourselves as well. Maybe we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I want to say to you that it's not, maybe it is God has planned and trusted you to be a part of the end times revival. And that is what is happening. There's a great falling away happening all over the world. I can tell you, we all just went through together depending on when you're watching this program, uh, you know, the worldwide global pandemic that happened and of course shutdowns were happening all over the world. The first time who would have ever thought in the, in the history of the world that Christians uh, would corporately round the world globally not celebrate Easter together in a gathering an in person gathering. It was mind boggling to me that we agreed to do that, but we did. And we did it out of a heart for service and love to our family, uh, and concern for our family. So, but I've told my church, you know, we're not going down that road again, because we understand now the big picture, no pun intended of what the enemy was trying to do. He was trying to destroy the church. He was trying to destroy the gathering. And quite frankly, for a lot of people, he did. Over 50% of the church walked away during that two and a half, almost three years, and they're still walking away. So what the pandemic did is it separated the wheat from the chaff. And what is left, we're beginning to see rise. It's called the remnant. I think about my mom when I was a kid. I was blessed that my mom was very talented when it came to to sewing. Uh, she was a seamstress, and she had a, a small sewing room in our house. We did not have that much money. We certainly never had money to buy the name brand clothes i never wore the name brands that my friends wore uh, but my mom wanted me to have some unique things and unique is a as a, a word i guess i'll describe it now my mom is going on to be with the lord now but i remember back then i was embarrassed by it now i'm thankful for it but she would she would make my clothes and she'd put those little tags in there and she'd sew that little tag in there that said made with love by mom and uh, every once in a while, I'd slip up and let somebody see uh, that tag or something, and my friends would make fun of me. But now I'm thankful because I think about my mother taking the time to do that and to make that for me and my brother. It was just amazing. And what she would do is she would go into the sewing stores, and she would buy these patterns. And when you'd buy these patterns, on the outside, there would be a color drawing sketch of what that particular pattern would would make if you followed the pattern. It would be either a pair of slacks, it would be a dress, a skirt, a jacket, something like that. And you'd, you'd buy the fabric, you lay the fabric out, then you take the pattern, which was a very thin, uh, almost like rice paper type material, and it would lay on top of, you just open it up and lay it on top of, and it'd be the, the shape of a, the side of a pair of pants or something. You t- She'd take those little needles, straight needles, and she'd put it on there, and she'd pin it to it, Uh, needles not needles pins she would pin it to it and then she'd take the scissors she'd begin to cut around the pattern well as she's cutting around the pattern in her mind she's thinking about what she's going to make and the pattern is she's following the pattern so therefore she's going to be able to make what was on the picture on the image well you know when you cut something out there's something that is left over and the pieces that would fall on the outside of that pattern would be end up in a pile in the corner of that room well, in the sewing world, that pile is called the remnants, the remnants of the clothing. And in fact, you know, because you, you don't make everything the same color in that pile, there would be different colors uh, from all different types of fabrics and different types of patterns. And, you know, they'd end up being rags or, you know, dish rags or oil rags or or something. But they were never really used for anything because they were not big enough or they were not symmetrical. They were not rectangular or square that you could cut a pattern out. Many of them were triangles and, you know, circles and had curves in them. And they were basically unusable. But I want you to know that today you need to get this in your heart. You know, we are a ragtag group for the most part. Most churches are— you know, almost thinking in their mind, they're, they're surviving, just surviving, surviving mode. And many of the quote unquote elite in the church walked away from the church. Many that had had uh, biblical education, seminary education, all of these, they, they begin to deconstruct their faith and they walked away. In a lot of situations we're left with, I hate to use the word left because we're blessed for those that stayed. But when you look around the congregation, you look at some that may seem to be unqualified maybe not as talented as some of the ones that took their gifts and, and went away and started using them for the world instead of God. So here we are, the smaller number, every church is smaller. Every every church has got empty seats that was thriving maybe not long ago and, and was trying to put chairs out. Now they're taking chairs, they're putting chairs out for new people because they ran out of room. Now they're putting chairs back in storage uh, so they don't look like the church is dying. So that's where we're at in the church. As I said, I mean, over 50%, and to most statistics say, walked away. And, and that number is growing. But, you know, there's a story in Scripture that just really hit me. I've, it's one of my absolute favorite things to preach in all of the Bible. I preached it I don't know how many times, read it so many times, just in personal reading because it ministers to me so much. But during the pandemic, it really, really struck home with me that this, in so, on so many levels, the story of Joseph is a story that basically will teach us all about what we just went through and all about where we're going. Genesis chapter 37 says, Now Israel loved or favored Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic, which is another word for coat or covering, of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father had loved him more than his brothers, They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. They had so much rage towards Joseph, they couldn't even have a conversation with him. Can I tell you one of the things that happened during the pandemic, and I think you would know where I'm going with this, is that bridges were burned, relationships were ruined, friendships were crushed and removed simply because this one agreed with this policy, this one agreed with this mandate, this one said I'll never agree to a mandate, this one said this, and and this one, that's my political candidate, that's my political candidate, you can't be my friend anymore. I'm telling you, man, we got hate mail sent to our church. I had horrible voicemails left at our church. We had one voicemail that was a death threat. Somebody hoping that we would all die in our church because we were having church again after the doors were open again. It was just a crazy time, y'all. And what it did is it revealed it separated the wheat from the chaff. It really revealed the hearts of people. And it revealed the dedication of people, those that were going through the motion in their relationship with God and those that were serious with God. Now, when we look back at this scripture about Joseph, now remember it said that that he loved him more than his brothers, but we understand that that doesn't mean that he loved him more. This is about favor. And there was a reason that there was favor on Joseph, and we'll see that in this show today, if you'll stay with me. But there's so much to unpack there. First, the remnant will always be favored above the other brothers that are not pleasing to the Father. Let me tell you something about favor. Favor is not fair, number one. You need to get that in your spirit. Favor is not fair. If, if it was fair, fair means just. Fair means you get what you deserve. If you got what you deserve, you'd be in hell right now. If you got what you deserve, you wouldn't be alive right now. So God doesn't put favor on you so you can get what you deserve because you can't earn favor. It's unearned. Favor is better than money. Favor will open doors that money can't open. You know, I've heard it said before, and I want to say it now, that money can buy you a house, but it can't buy you a home. Favor can, get, can open the doors for you to not only have a home, a house, but also have a home. You want favor in your life. And it is a great misconception that favor rests upon all people who are saved. That is not true. Favor, salvation rests upon all that are saved, Eternity with Jesus rests upon all that were saved, that are saved. But there is things called the law of sowing and reaping. Many of the blessings are contingent and tied to obedience. And favor rests upon those that are being obedient to God not just those that are children of God. Now, there is the favor of grace and the unmerited favor that comes with that. And, of course, there are levels of favor that comes just because you're a child of God. But I'm talking about another level of favor that will sustain you in the midst of pandemics, in the midst of the drought, in the midst of all the chaos that we've gone through. But when God puts his favor on you, it will cause others to hate you and not want to have anything to do with you the second thing i want you to see in this passage is this that the bible says that he was the son of his old age he was the son of his old age so when i look at this story i begin to realize that there is implications here the word of god is so amazing it's not just applicable uh, to read it in a historical way, it is. We should always, always read it in the historical context to the to the best of our ability, and never forget the historical context of it. But it is a it is a living book that can speak to us in our personal situation. Like you can read about uh, blind Barnabas being healed by Jesus. Well, that there was a man named Barnabas that was blind and he was healed. But you can listen to the conversations that were happening between them, and you can understand how spiritual blindness, how maybe a a, a physical miracle could happen in your life as a result of you being obedient, and as a, ro- as a result of you having an encounter with God the way blind Barnabas did. That's just one that came off the top of my head. So the Word of God is applicable to your life. We call it in in preaching wor- in the preaching world types and shadows. So when we look at Joseph, Joseph is such a type and shadow of Jesus and and of how he was betrayed and all those kind of things. But he's also a type and shadow of. God's favor it can teach us things about favor in my opinion like no other person in scripture. And and when this favor came on the son it was the son of his old age meaning it came towards the end of his family, his life. I believe that we are the final generation and I believe there is a Joseph remnant that is rising up that there is favor, there is going to be something come on them that is reserved for the end times, there can only be one end time. I say that a lot on this show, on this channel. There can't be multiple end times. There can only be one end times. Once it's if if you call it the end times, and then you got another end times, well, the first one's not the end times. Come on, it makes sense. If you think about it. So we this came in the old age of his father, and he and he put favor on the son of his old age, and I think that is us. I believe that we are the son of we are the son of the old age of the church we are we are we are we are rising up and god is going to teach us something through joseph on this program that's going to help us understand why god is putting his favor on us and why he's trusted us right now the third thing i want you to see that we're going to break down in this in this teaching and i'm gonna go really fast in just a minute is that the favored those that are favored will always be hated and persecuted by those who are not walking in favor and obedience see they're your friend as long as you're struggling when you're both are struggling they're your buddy but the moment god does for you what both of you have been asking god to do for both of you and, and you just begin to praise God, and you're just walking in the favor of God, you, a lot of times you'll lose your prayer buddy because your prayer friend uh, that was struggling with you in the altars gets mad and jealous of you. And number four, God gave Joseph something very distinctive and obvious to display his favor. It was the coat of many colors. Now let me circle back to my mother, and I'm going to show you something that's going to blow your mind. Now, it's called the coat of many colors. We all know the story of Joseph in the coat of many colors. And when any time we would see a picture drawn of Joseph in his coat, or if we were to uh, see it and remember from vacation Bible school when had the little characters that would go up on the board and all of this. In fact, even if you do a Google search in the coat of many colors, you will always see a coat that is a jacket that is made of symmetrical stripes of colors that, you know, it would be like, you know, just long pieces of cloth all the way down, beautifully laid out in the color of the rainbow. And, you know, just a beautiful pattern. Well, listen to me. Let's think about this. This is a farmer, a shepherd. This is an old man who probably knew how to stitch a few things, but was probably not a professional seamstress. And probably would not have had the ability to perfectly dye uh, in color, the, the beautiful colors and the beautiful strips to be symmetrical, to be all the same and make this elaborate jacket of all these beautiful laid out colors in order all the way across. So I began to think about that and I thought, well then where would he, and by the way, let me back up too. He had so much going on in his life. Do you think he had the time to sit around and just dye clothes different colors all the time, strips of all the time. No, he had he had sheep to take care of. He had all this other. He was not going to sit around and color clothing, but yet he was able to to create a coat, a tunic, for his son in the presence of his other brothers, and even in the presence of Joseph, and nobody even knew what he was talking, what he was doing, uh, because it was a process that he was able to do fairly quickly. How did you do that? Well, to me, it's very obvious when you think about it, is that they had probably had to make several tunics over the years, different types of clothing, not just for his sons, but for their wives, uh, for their children, and it wasn't just him that made them. The, the, the ladies, of course, there of the village would would have made different things, dyed the colors and all of this, and they would have had different colors. They would have had uh, robes. They would have had different types of fabric, things to wrap around their head. But just like my mother, there would have been pieces that didn't fit, that would have been thrown away, lay off to the side, piled up. So there were probably a pile of remnant pieces of cloth that were of all different types of colors because they had all came from various different types of garments that had been made. And I believe that when Joseph, when he was making the coat for Joseph, his father began to realize he he was wanting to make it something that would stand out. But what he didn't realize was that God was going to use this story to teach us what the true body of Christ will look like when he comes and dies for us and unifies us all. What does the body of Christ look like? Well, it's not all white. It's not all black. It's not all brown. It's not all red. It's not all yellow. It's not, it's not all whatever. It's not any kind of particular color in the body of Christ there. We are made up of all races. We're made up of all nationalities and all languages. When I preached this message, I had a lady in my church that uh, took it literally what I was saying is that Joseph's father had made him a coat of many colors. And the reason it was many colors is it was made of all the remnants. You know what she did? She went home, and I'm just gonna show you this right here. She went home and she made, she was a seamstress, y'all. And she took the remnants of all the things that she had and she made this for me. This is a coat that I preach in when I preach this message. And it is made up, I want y'all to see this, of nothing but pieces of old cloth, that she had had from various types of things that she had made. And she made this coat. And I was gonna wear it, but it would have been a distraction and it would have been bright yellow in your face. But I want you to see that. Because I wear that and she also stitched on it the remnant is rising. Because when I, when I wear that coat and I preach that message, it's an illustration to those that are watching and listening to this message. My God, I'm somewhere in that jacket. That's me. That's me. That's me. That's me. Not because you're polka dotted, not because you're pink and not because you're blue, not because you're red, but because you know that somewhere in that, uh, in all of those throwaways, somewhere in all of those rags, somewhere in all those that didn't fit the pattern, uh, somewhere in there, in, in the, the, the pieces that seemed like they were the least likely to make it, and, to, and not just make it to be used by God, were being put together in a coat. Well, the coat is a covering, and that's why we call this the remnant mantle. It covers the body of Christ. I believe the body. Think about it. He's the head, and we're the body. So I believe he is wrapping us in a coat of favor. It's made up of every race and every tongue and every nationality, quite frankly, every denomination. It's made up of many, many colors. I want you to know something, that we've got to understand this as we go a little bit deeper in this teaching. We cannot do anything to make the enemies of God accept us in our way of thinking in this world. We need to stop trying to be like them. One of the biggest mistakes that we have made in the body of Christ is that we compromised the gospel and the compromise the gathering so that the brothers, our brothers would love us. That we would not exude or portray that there is a desire from God to come out and be separate. We have cookie cuttered the gathering. We have created a duplicatable system. We go to these conventions and these conferences, pastors do and leaders do to learn how to grow their church. And we follow the model. We follow the pattern. I don't don't, literally, I don't begrudge those churches. Thank God that they have been successful and they have grown. And it's worked for a while, for a season it worked. But let me tell you, the pandemics threw that away. People are not looking for a cookie cutter. People are not looking for something that fits the pattern. They're not looking for, you know, for everybody that bought that pattern, like my mother would buy that sewing pattern. There was hundreds, if not thousands of people around the country and around the world that bought that pattern in their local store as well, that there's somebody was able to make that exact same blouse, that exact same jacket that I was wearing. But guess what? Not everybody in the world could match that piece Of remnant that was thrown away. And certainly if you took all those remnants and put them together and turned them into a coat of many colors, it would be distinct. It would be different. This coat that she made me that I just showed you, if she wanted to make it again, she couldn't duplicate it because she didn't just pull out pieces of cloth that fit a pattern. She just pulled it out the way they were as is and sewed it into the jacket. So there's not any there's not another one like it just like there's not another one like you okay Now let's go a little bit deeper Joseph didn't just get a coat he got a coat and then he also he's not just known for the coat he's he's really known for more than the coat the coat was just a small por- portion of his story if you'll think about it he didn't even have the coat if you if you really dive into it he probably didn't even have the coat, but maybe one or two days, even if one day. And, but he's defined by that coat. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that Joseph had a dream, and he told that dream to his brothers. The dream was that one day all of you are going to bow down and serve me. One day I'm going to be over all of you. Well, then he had another dream. And then that dream, it was also interpreted as well, that not only would all of their brother, his brothers come up under his authority, but even his own father would come up under his authority. And they didn't know how to handle that. So they, so you take, you take them him, him coming and saying, God told me that one day you guys are going to be up under my authority. Told me that twice in a dream. And, Dad, you too. And then you put in the jacket, and you're talking about you, are, you got a bullseye of hate on you. And that's what happened with Joseph. So here we are. Here we are. He's young, so he's still at home with his, with his dad. So the older brothers that hated Joseph was sent out. You know the story. I'm not going to read it. You can go back and read it in Genesis. It's all through Genesis chapter 37, 38, and so forth. You can go back and read. Well, they, they were sent off to go into the field to take care of the sheep. Well, Joseph's father looks at him and says, I need you to get ready. I need you to go pack some sandwiches and all this. Take some uh, stuff with you just to help you make it through the desert. I need you to go find your brothers and check on them and make sure they're doing okay. He says to him that I want you to go get ready and then go take care of your brothers once you get ready well when you read scripture and as i said i'm not going to read it i'm just going to tell you to go look at genesis chapter 37 he says i'm ready he doesn't take time he didn't say i got to go get something he said i'm ready why did he say he was ready because he had his daddy's jacket on. He had the coat of many colors on. And in his mind, he was so full of just the favor of his father. He was so confident in who he was. He had just had two dreams that God said, you're going to do amazing things, and even your own brothers and your father are going to come up under what I'm going to do in your life. And then he had that coat of many colors on that separated him. He's like, I don't need to do anything. I'm ready to go now. His dad was surprised by that. But let me tell you, that's what's happening in the remnant right now. For years and years and years, we've been saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Revival is coming, it's coming, it's coming. Well, guess what? It's not coming. It's here. End times is not coming. It's here. We don't have time to do anything else to be ready. God is saying, God is going to look at you through this program. He's going to look at you through your pastor. He's going to look at you through another show that you might be watching from somebody else. And something is going to trigger inside of you. And God is going to say, I need you to go. Well, you can't look at God. Now, look, I believe in prayer, and I believe in praying about things, and I believe in praying about doing things that some people may even ask you to do in the church. But when God calls you to go, you don't need to pray about it. There's no time for you to pray about, well, let me pray about it, God, and then I'll go. If God said go, then that means he's put something on you right now for you to go. So you need to obey God and go. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because I've been preaching this thing called the gospel for over 30 years. I've been pastoring this same church at the time of this recording for over 28 years. And I'm at the time of this recording, once again, I'm 55. I am a pop and I just found out I got a new granddaughter coming as well. Who knows how many more grandkids I'm have in my life. And while all my other friends and people that I graduated with high school are winding down their life, God is still calling me. To go. God is still telling me, I didn't take that jacket off of you. I didn't take that coat off of you. You got a mandate on your life, son. You got to go. And that and one of my mandates is to get on this camera, to sit in this room by myself and scream from the bottom of my heart and cry aloud and spare not to tell you it's time to go. Ain't no time to pray about it. It's time to go. So when he gets out in the field, the Bible says something very unique. I love this. I love this. I love this. He says that while he's going and he's finding his brothers, uh, and he's looking for him and he can't find him. And this other guy tells him where to go and he goes and he finally finds him. Listen to what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 37, verse 18. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Look the dreamer is coming now let me ask you a question have you ever seen have you ever been in a hot day where you looked out over the pavement and you saw you could literally see the heat rising and how it how it affects your vision and how it just sort of distorts everything and just sort of warps everything and a lot of times people say when they're in the desert that's how we get the mirages because you know they'll look off into the distance and and they'll think they're seeing something that's actually not seeing and it's because of the trickery of the heat and of the desert? Well, number one, they were in a desert. So when they, when they saw him afar off, they, they, they were, it, when you study that, that doesn't just mean a good distance. That means so far that it would literally look like a little tiny speck coming. How did they know who it was? Because it could have been anybody. Well, something was on him, I think y'all know what I'm saying about, that separated him and identified him immediately. The favor of God, the, the, the favor mantle, the remnant mantle, when it is on you, it is identifiable. The enemy knows you're coming. The enemy is laying traps for you. The first thing they said is, here comes the dreamer. They don't want to hear your dream. They're sick of your dream and the remnant mantle, the coat of many colors, the favor of God, all it does is remind them of the dream. And they hate the dream because the dream says, you cannot keep living the way you're living. You're going to have to come up under this moment and submit yourself to God. And they don't want to do that. They want to do things their own way. Let me tell you something. The, the, the coat that was on him was, was symbolic to him. It was defining him in the presence of those that hated him. It was the defining factor of his life. So they plotted all the way as his image was getting larger and larger and larger across that, that desert. They began to plot how they were going to kill him. Well, before, they even, before he even got there, one of the brothers had rose up and said, We can't kill him. The judgment of God would be on us. Well, at some point they decided, Well, let's don't kill him. Let's throw him in this pit here, this empty water pit, uh, and let's just let him die there. But before we do that, we have to be able to convince our father when we get back that something horrible has happened to Joseph. So how do we do that? Well, we strip him of his favor. We strip him of his identifiable factor, and they stripped off of the coat. That's why I said that He's identified, and he's synonymous with this coat, but when you look at it, it really almost implies that he he only had it a day or a couple of days, and next thing you know, the coat is off, stripped off of him, and he is thrown into this pit, looking up and seeing his brothers hold the coat that was not made for them, hold the coat that was made for him, for Joseph, and they looked at him, and they mocked him, and they said, what do you think about your dream now? What do you think about your dream now? And what did they do? They said, well, we can't just take the coat back. We've got to make it look bad. So they ripped it to shreds. They poured blood all over it. Lamb's blood. Boy, I could preach right there. How symbolic is this? That they they kill one of their own lambs and put the blood on, on the garment. And, but then they also told him, jo, Joseph's father, when he got back, they had been killed by a lion, a great beast in the field. So, so in one swoop of the top and shadow, we have the covering on the body of Christ cleansed by the blood of, of a lamb of an innocent lamb. But also the story is he was taken out by the line. Come on. Jesus is the lamb and the lion. Well, come on somebody. If I was Paul Begley, I'd say, what? are you serious? Yes, I am. So what's this? The enemy will try to rip you and uh, pull off the favor of God for, on you. It, the thing that they think identifies you. Can I tell you something? They, they shut down the churches. They shut, they shut us down. And they thought, well, if we'll shut them down, then we'll take away their ability to be a voice. But what they, what they didn't get was the church gathering itself is not our identifiable factor our identifiable factor is inside of us. It's not on us. It's inside of us. See, what people, what Joseph's brothers didn't realize is they thought he simply wore a coat. Oh, I'm about to preach here. What they didn't realize is the coat was wearing him, okay? It had got in his DNA, and it would follow him for the rest of his life. They took that coat back to the daddy. They showed him the blood on his dad broke down and almost died of heart, heart attack right then because he couldn't believe. He believed the narrative. He believed the lie. The enemy will strip us down. We'll try to strip the church down and create this narrative that we are hateful, that we are bigoted, that we are uh, supremacist. We, we think we're better than anybody else. We think we're better than this. Got to, no, that ain't the body of Christ. The body of Christ is shaped in love. The body of Christ is, is, is driven by love, is driven by grace and driven. by mercy but there's a whole narrative out there that if you preach truth if you preach on sin if you preach on hell that you are hateful and you are mean and many in the body of christ have bought into the narrative so the dad bought into the narrative his younger brother benjamin bought into the narrative all of the wives and the kids bought into the narrative but the brothers knew that it wasn't true and through the through the course of time you know they were going to kill him but they threw him in the pit and about that time just so happened look how god works just so happened there was uh, a a band of uh, folks coming by on camels that was slave traders so say so would you, you know what instead of letting him sit here and die let's just go we'll feel good about ourselves that at least he'll get a, a meal or two before he's killed uh and we, we won't have to worry about seeing him killed we'll just you know out of sight out of mind and they sold him into slavery so here here he gets up that morning He's wearing a coat of many colors. By that evening, he stripped down probably completely naked, hands tied and bound, being pulled by a camel across the desert. It looks like, where are you, God? I had your favor on me, and now not only do I not have your coat on me anymore, I don't even have my name anymore. My father thinks I'm dead. The world thought the church was dead. The world, The devil thought he had us, but the devil is a liar. Come on, somebody. So he sold into slavery. Well, this guy that's the right hand uh, to Pharaoh himself in Egypt, the most powerful man in Egypt next to Pharaoh's name's Potiphar, he just so happens to see something on Joseph. And he says, I want that one. He can't identify what it is, but God knew what was on him because the coat was still on him. You hearing me? The coat was still on him. It was not hanging, it was not in a pile somewhere back at Jacob's house. It was still on Joseph because Joseph, it had got into his spiritual DNA. So he's standing there as a slave, but he's still got favor on him because favor doesn't pick up off and leave you in times of struggle, in times of trouble. So he buys him. How horrible is that? He buys and begins to, to enslave in this house, the favored one, the dreamer. The next thing you know, he just is, has so much favor on him. Potiphar's like, man, I don't know, I don't know how to explain this, but I know you're a slave here in my house. But I'm going to make you ruler over my house, over everything in my house, except for my wife. You can, you can even manage my money. You can manage everything. Just, just you don't get my wife. Well, the very one thing that he said he didn't want—the wife—was not faithful to him, like he was faithful to her. Because if you read the story, he, Joseph's in there. He's just taking care of the house. He's just doing everything. He's got favor on him. Next thing you know, Potiphar's wife wants to go to bed with him. She starts trying to seduce him. His integrity. He, remember, he still is covered by the coat because it's in his DNA. He has not forgot the dream. He's like, no, 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 no. I know what God has called me to do. I can't go down that road. I can't go down that road. One of the biggest things that the enemy will always come after a man or a woman of God that is being set aside and put out as a place of favor to be a voice for God will be to attempt to tempt them through sexual perversion. How many preachers have failed because of sexual temptation? How many preachers are falling because of pornography? They're falling because of, uh, you know, prostitution, different kinds of things having an affair with their secretaries, having an affairs with, with this one and that one. All over the world, we see it happening. That's the number one temptation. But Joseph kept himself pure. She kept on, she kept on, and she kept on until one day she lunged at him and tried to throw him onto the bed and openly said, have sex with me. King James says it this way, lie with me. Well, I could preach right there because it wasn't just a lie meaning lie down with me. It was also live a lie with me. Live a lie with me, bring come into my lie. we'll keep it we'll keep it a secret. We'll make sure that Potiphar thinks that you're just a slave, but we'll live the lie that you belong to me. And he said, I, I'm not doing it. and he ran he, he pulled away from him and when he did, she pulled his clothes off. It literally implies he he was naked. she stripped him. Whatever it was, the Bible said he ran out of the house. He ran as fast as he could. Naked. Watch this stripped again. Once again, the enemy thought, well, I'll strip him again. I'll strip him down naked again and I'll make him shameful again. Well, sorry. You can't, you can't strip a man who is covered in the glory. You can't strip the glory. You can't strip the favor. You may strip my title. You may strip my home from me. You may strip my job from me. You may shut down this, shut down that, but you cannot take the favor of God from me. I wish I had somebody that would give me something down in the comment section, a hands up, whatever. You hadn't hit that subscribe or like button yet. Please hit that subscribe button and hit that thumbs up, that like button. It helps us more than anything, and you may want to even join and become a partner with us. But... Guess what? She accused him, falsely accused him, made up another narrative. So it was the first narrative that he's dead. Now the narrative is he tried to sexually assault me, so he was thrown in prison. Well, remember, they put an orange jumpsuit on him. They, he made, him, they made him look just like everybody else, a prisoner. But he wasn't wearing a orange jumpsuit. He wasn't wearing stripes, black and white stripes like you see in the old movies. No, it didn't matter what they put on him. He was already clothed. He was still wearing the coat of many colors. He was still wearing the remnant mantle. Because without, just like that, the Bible says he became the ruler of the jail. The the warden gave him the keys. Let him unlock all the places, feed everybody, lock everybody up, and then every night reach over and lock himself back in his own jail cell. And then in the midst of it, remember, he wasn't just favored. He was a dreamer, but he wasn't just a dreamer. He was an interpreter of dreams. And one day he heard the, a baker and, and a cupbearer that had been thrown in prison by Pharaoh. Whether it was falsely accused or committed the crime or not, don't matter. They both were troubled by dreams that they had. And Joseph heard that. And he said, Well, let me interpret the dreams. Let me tell you what they mean. Well, one of them loved the interpretation because one of them was, God is about to get you out of here. And you're going to be your position of cupbearer is going to be restored to you. And you're going to stand at Pharaoh's side again. And you're going to test the the wine for him. And you're going to be his favored man. And everything's going to be restored to you. He's like, Whoa, man, what a word! Baker said, what about me? What about me? He said, well, well, not so good for you. You're going to be killed. You're going to be hung up on a pole, and birds are going to come up here and eat the brains out of your head. Well, how many of those, he didn't want that word. He rejected that word. But, hey, Joseph had to tell it like it was. So he looks at the one that's happy about it, and he looks at the cupbearer and says, all I ask is from you is this. When you get there, remember me. Just remember me that I'm still here. Well, they just like it said, both of them got brought out of jail. One of them was the birds ate his brains out, and he was hung upon the pole. The other one was restored to the position of cupbearer. And it implies that it was almost two years later. Uh, it was definitely a long time, but it implies almost two years. And I think about that, and I think about, you know, this whole thing that we went through was around two, two and a half years. Well, one day, Pharaoh has a dream. He wait, he's terrified by this dream. And he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he tells himself, okay, okay, Boy, that pizza was bad last night. I must have ate some bad pizza. That was a bad dream. I'm just going to go back to sleep. He goes back to sleep. He has an even more terrified dream. He wakes up, and then he realizes, this is not what I ate last night. I need to bring in my magicians. I need to bring in my sorcerers. I need to bring in all, all, everybody and get them to interpret my dreams. So one by one, they came in. Nobody could give him satisfaction in his heart that they were giving him the interpretation of their dreams. He was troubled. Can no one remember my dreams? Well, this is what favor will do. Even when you're in prison, Even when you have been falsely accused and even, but if you keep your integrity and you stay faithful, this is what favor will do. At that moment, the cupbearer remembered. It was sad that it took that long, but he remembered. He said, well, let me just tell you, there was a guy that I met a long time ago when I was in jail that interpreted my dream. And I'm standing here today because he said that I would be standing here. He fulfilled it. He goes, go get him. Go get him go bring him to me. Pharaoh said, go go bring him to me. The Bible says they go into the jail cell. You got to hear me. I'm almost through in this teaching. This is is almost the end. Listen to me. This is powerful. The Bible says they go into the jail and they call his name and they tell him, it's time for you to come out. Why? Why? Why am I coming out? Pharaoh has asked for you to come before him. He's had dreams and he wants you to interpret them and stand before his throne. Well, most people would have ran like a scalded dog is how we say it down here in Alabama. He had a ran like a scalded dog out of that prison. But that ain't what the Bible says. The Bible says he stood up. The Bible says he shaved himself. He cleaned himself. He bathed himself. Why? Because he understood the moment. He understood it's here. After all that I've gone through, he knew in his spirit this is it. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of the dream. Also, he knew that he would stand in a place before a man. The the Egyptian people hated beards. They hated body hair. So he had been in prison for years. He had not had a chance to shave. He cleaned himself up so he'd be presentable for the moment. Listen, when God calls you out, you better better appreciate the moment. You better not take it for granted. Do not take the, the moment for granted. Clean yourself up. Get yourself ready. Because you're about to stand before people that God has going to put you before, that is going to give you favor, that's going to blow your mind. So he stands before him. He says, tell me the dreams. He he tells him the first dream. He said, "Mm mm-hmm, is that it? He goes, no, I dreamed another dream. This was the second dream. And this is one of the things that people read over in Scripture all the time. Listen to, go back and read your Bible, because this is what it says. Joseph said, because you have dreamed this dream twice, therefore it is of God. Because it took him back to the fact that God had to give him two dreams for him to realize it. So here he stood all these years later. He was a boy then, but now he was a man. And he interpreted the dreams. Pharaoh immediately knew this is it. This this is the correct interpretation of the dream. And, of course, if you know the story, it was a prophesied dream of seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, a famine like the world had never seen. So he said, I'm going to put you, I'm going to not only get you out of prison, but I'm going to set you at, at my right hand. Well, guess who used to sit at his right hand? Potiphar. How many knows? Oh, man, you hear what I'm saying? Potiphar, the very man whose wife accused you of a lie and of the narrative that called you uh, uh, someone who was basically a sexual predator, which was a lie, and the man that just went ahead and believed the narrative now had to give up his seat for the favored. And here you are sitting in Potiphar's chair. And the Bible says he told Joseph, Half of my kingdom is at your hands. You are the decision maker. You will be over the next year, next seven years of gathering in our barns to preserve for the seven years the famine that would come. The Bible says that nine years later, listen to me, nine years later, seven years of plenty had come and gone. Now that we're two years into the seven years of famine, and the report comes in the Scripture says that the house of Jacob And all of his brothers that had sold him into slavery and threw him in the pit, they were dying of starvation. They had ran out of food. So the father says, I have heard that they have plenty in Egypt. Go and beg for some grain and some seed or something so that we might live. So they go and they stand before, not Pharaoh, but before this other gentleman that they don't know who he is. He has a different name. He has an Egyptian name. He has an Egyptian wife. He's dressed in Egyptian garb, gold all over his body. He's sitting on a golden throne with a golden scepter. And Lo and behold, his brothers, that in that dream that said one day they would bow down before him, were bowed down before him. And the Bible says that Joseph immediately knew who they were, but they had no idea who he was. Mm. So he begins... To go through what i believe is some of the most powerful reading you will ever read in scripture i cannot read it in my daily bible reading or any other time that i read it without crying because it just wrecks me because the turmoil that is inside of him he never has rage he never has vengeance he has love and compassion for the very one that hated him and plotted to murder him and through the course of him doing some really sneaky things and unique ways of getting his family back to him without revealing himself to them is just amazing. And at some point towards the end of this story, he can't take it anymore. And they're standing there before him. He tells all of the Egyptians to get out of the room. And he says, leave me with these men. Now I'm going to read this to you. Genesis chapter 45, verse 1, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those that stood before him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me, all the Egyptians. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And as he wept aloud, the Egyptian he was crying so hard, but the Bible says the Egyptians and even the house of Pharaoh heard him crying. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near him <laughs> and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years in the famine have been in the land. There are still five more years in which where there will be no plowing or harvesting. But my God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Notice he didn't even say of himself. He didn't say that God sent me here so that I might live. He said God was working through it all so that I could save you, my brothers, the ones that tried to kill me. God was working through it all so that I could save my father and my, in their heart, even the ones that hate me and wanted me dead. I never held a grudge against you. So now it was not you, verse eight, who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. God moved upon Pharaoh to give them favor, to live in a place called Goshen, where the people of God could grow and flourish and would one day come out of Egypt and be led by Moses. Later on in the book of Genesis, we know the story. But the thing that most people read right over is the most powerful part of this whole story. That when you wear the remnant mantle, you are not second-in-command to the government of whatever country you live in. You are not second-in-command to anyone except God. Pharaoh was the ruler of the most powerful nation and military in the world. But when Pharaoh, go back and read it for yourself, Pharaoh was not in that room. And Joseph sent every Egyptian out of that room. And before that moment, he had talked to his brothers in Egyptian language and allowed for there to be a Hebrew interpreter. But when he put the Egyptians out of the room and revealed himself, he talked to them in Hebrew. And this is something that, he, that preachers don't preach, but I hope you made it to the end of this show to get this. He says, God, not you sent me here, but I'm going to tell you something else that God did. God, I'll read it verbatim, verse 8 again. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he made me a father to Pharaoh. Pharaoh don't know it, but I am his daddy. He ain't first in command, and I ain't second in command. I Run this show because God's favor is on me. And he takes second fiddle to no one. It says he's made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to him, half of my kingdom, half of the land. But Joseph told his brothers, I rule over it all. And let me tell you something, that is the remnant. Don't you believe for a moment that we, because we are a small voice and a minute voice and we don't have billions and trillions of dollars behind us and the movers and the shakers and the planners in the World Economic Forum and the United Nations and the World Health Organization all doing our agenda, we don't need it. We have the coat, we have the covering, and we have the favor of the father. Thank you for joining me on the big picture. I hope that you've subscribed and you've liked it. And I hope you'll come back and don't forget about our live show every Monday and Wednesday night. We love you. God bless you. See you next time on the big picture. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Big Picture Podcast. We hope it helped you, encouraged you, and empowered you. Please consider leaving us a review on your app of choice and share with family and friends. And remember, we ain't woke, but we are certainly awake.